And it is so good to be with you guys today. Thank you for coming this morning. My name is Matt Carter, I'm the lead pastor at Sagemont Church. And I want to invite you to uh, open your Bible study to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, Exodus 35. And we are beginning today three-week series that I'm going to be teaching on generosity, on finances, looking at God's view of money. Um, pretty much everything I'm going to be talking about over the next three weeks is not really my opinions on money, but it's going to be what God says about it. He says a lot about it. And it's, um, it's an uncomfortable subject, which I'll talk about in a minute. But uh, let me tell you what's going on here in Exodus 34 and 35. God has called Moses to lead his people. And then he brings Moses to the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses begins, or rather God begins to speak to Moses. And what he does is he tells Moses um, some things that he, that the Lord wants Moses to tell his people to do. And one of which is to build the tabernacle, the place of worship of Almighty God. Now, a little interesting side note here before we jump into the text. Moses, uh, Moses comes down off the mountain after being in the presence of God. And Moses' face is shining. Do y'all remember that story from the Old Testament? His face is shining. It was so bright, as a matter of fact, he had to put a veil on before he could talk to the people of God. But this idea is something you see all throughout Scripture, that when somebody actually enters into the presence of God, that they shine. You see it all throughout the Bible. Um, whenever angels appear on the scene, they're shining. Whenever... Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're shining. Whenever um, Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, he's shining. And the point is that whenever you enter the presence of God, his glory rubs off on you and you shine. It's evident to everybody around you. And so Moses has been in the presence of God. He's shining and he's about to tell the people what God has commanded them to do. And I want you to look at the very first thing in Exodus 35, 4. Exodus 35, 4. I want you to look at the very first thing that God tells his people to do. It's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 4. Moses said to the congregation of the people of Israel. And by the way, he's shining when he says this. He says, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Now, what's God going to say? What's the first thing he's going to tell the people? <clears throat> Verse 5. This is what God commanded. He says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Let him bring the Lord's contribution. <clears throat> Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. Goat's hair, tan ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here? What God has done is he's told Moses specifically that he wants the people of God to build the tabernacle, which at the time was the physical dwelling place of God. Now, what's interesting about this, everybody look at me for a second. 
What's interesting about this little moment in the scripture is that what God does is he told them, I want you to build the tabernacle, but here's how I want you to do it. I want you to give from your personal finances so that the tabernacle can be built. Okay, that's the interesting part. Interesting part, and I'll tell you about why in a minute. But God says, I want, you, I want everybody to take from your personal wealth, from your personal finances, I want you to donate it as a contribution to the Lord so that the tabernacle can be built. Now, real quick question, was God only speaking to rich people here? He wasn't. And we, here's, here's why we know that, because he says, hey, some of you have gold and silver and bronze. Who would have had gold and silver and bronze? That would be rich people. He's like, hey, if you got gold, silver, and bronze, I want you to give that so the tabernacle can be built. But then he says, some of you have acacia wood, you've got spices, you've got oil. Who would have had spices and oil? It was just working class people. Normal, everyday working class people had spices and oil. He says, you got that? I want you to give that. Then the Lord said, some of you have ram skins and goat skins. He said, y'all, some of y'all probably don't have silver and gold, but you got some, you got some goats. And so... If all you have is goats, then give some goat skins. Who, who would that have been for? That would have been for people that were poor. And the point is that God had this thing that he wanted done. He had this thing that he wanted accomplished. And he comes to the people and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you, regardless of a rich, whether you're poor, to give of the finances that I've already given to you. I want you to give back to me so this thing that I want done can happen. Okay, now, here's the, here's the really interesting part that, that, that hit me as I was studying this. Is that up to this point in the book of Exodus, up to this point in the book of Exodus and the story of God's people, God has been the one doing all the giving. God has done all the giving up to this point in the story when the people of God needed freedom from the Egyptians, God gave it to them and freed them when the people needed water in the desert. God gave it to them. He provided water. When people needed food in the desert, God gave it to them. He provided food and water for them. Up to this point in the story of Exodus, God has been the one doing all the giving. He's provided everything they need. And then out of the blue, out of the blue, God stops and he turns to the people for the first time and he says, now I want you to give back to me. Now I want you to give back to me. He says to his people, I want you to give from your wealth, gold, silver, acacia wood, and goat skins so that this tabernacle can be built. Now here's my question, why? Why did God ask his people for them to give to him so the tabernacle can be built? Okay, why did he do that? Because I don't know if you guys remember or not, but God, created everything with the sound of his voice. God is the creator of gold. God is the creator of acacia wood. God is the creator of ram skins and goat skins. And so he could have easily, easily, easily snapped his fingers and with the sound of his voice created everything that the people needed to build the tabernacle provided it for them once again and said, now you guys go build it. But he does not. He says, I want you to give to me. Why does he do that? Did God run out of money? <laughs> did God 
you know, was he getting a little low on gold and maybe forgot how to create gold and silver and bronze and acacia wood? No. Why does he, out of the blue, stop this God that is the great giver and the great provider, stop and say, now I want you to give back to me? The answer to that question is what this three-week series is all about. We're gonna look at money from God's perspective. He's got a very different perspective on money than we do. And we're gonna be answer, answering the question, why does the owner and the creator and the provider of everything over and over and over and over and over again in this book consistently ask you and I to give back to him a portion of what he's already given us so that the things that he wants done can be accomplished. That's what this series is about. Now, before we really jump in today, let me uh, say a couple of things. I've been, uh, I've been doing this preaching thing for a long time, 26 years now, 27, 28, 28 years is a long time. And um, it's been my experience that whenever a pastor stands up into a pulpit and starts talking about money, people start getting uncomfortable. And um, I found out that uh, Pastor John Morgan, the beloved longtime pastor of Sagemont Church, he would never tell people he was gonna preach on money. He would just, y'all just show up and dude would start preaching on money. I made the mistake of announcing it last week. <clears throat> but some of y'all weren't here. And so you showed up today and you saw the generosity slide and you're like, he's talking about money. And you're like, I hadn't come to church for three weeks. I decided to get up and I showed up on Money Sunday. Some of y'all, some of y'all brought friends this morning and you, and you, you, you've got this powerful temptation for you to lean over and go, he normally doesn't talk about this. I'm, I'm really sorry. So look, I, I get it. I get it. Um, let me ask you guys a question. Why, why is that? Like, why, why, why do we get uncomfortable? I've been there, I've been in the seats. Gets uncomfortable, why, why is it? Because when, when people talk about making money, people love it. Some, uh, you know, books on how to make money are some of the best-selling books in history. Um, when, when, a, when a church, and there's lots of them out there, when they preach messages about how God wants to give you money, people love it. Packs the church out. But if a, if a pastor stands up and talks about a, what is an infinitely more biblical concept that the Lord actually asks you to give back to him, what he's already given you, then all of a sudden people get antsy and uncomfortable and sometimes even angry. Why does that happen? I think there's two reasons. I think they're both good reasons, actually. I think the first reason is historically, uh, there's a lot of Christian leaders that have abused this issue. And I mean, how many stories do we have of televangelists and pastors and church leaders that have stood up and used their pulpit to say, God wants you to give, but have only uh, turned around and used that for their own personal gain. It's, you know, it's, unfortunately, there's too many stories of that. That's a legitimate concern. I want you to know something about me for those of you that don't know me. Um, I take this subject really seriously. And here's why. Because the scripture says, it very clearly says this, that I as a pastor will stand before almighty God. You know, the one that makes your face shine when you're in his presence, that one. Um, it's real clear. I and the pastors of this church will stand before the Lord and we're gonna give an account. 
for how we stewarded and pastored this church. And part of that is finances. And so I want you to know, I take this very, very, very seriously. I will stand before the Lord one day. I just want you to know that about me. I take this seriously and stewarding the finances of this church with godliness and integrity and transparency, okay? But I get that a lot of pastors don't. Here's the other thing. There's the other reason I think people get uncomfortable. And this is a little bit harder one to hear, but statistically speaking, a big majority of believers just don't walk in biblical obedience when it comes to their finances. They don't. And, and so it's uncomfortable to talk about. I get it. And, and, and God gave us some really clear guidelines in his word about how we're supposed to view and interact and deal with the finances that he's given us. And the reality is, is that, that actually most Christians just don't do it. And so it gets uncom- uncomfortable. So I want you to hear me really, really clearly and carefully on what I'm about to say. Like that second reason that I just gave is I believe, in my opinion, the primary reason that Jesus talked about money so often. He talked about Jesus. I mean, Jesus talked about money all the time. As a matter of fact, I I looked it up. 15%, roughly 15% of everything that came out of his mouth during his three-year ministry dealt specifically with the issue of money. Did you know that? That's a lot. That's a big percentage. That's a higher percentage of a, than a few things you've heard of before. It's a higher percentage than prayer. He talked about money than he, more than he talked about prayer. I might, might surprise you. He talked about um, money more than he talked about marriage. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Okay, here's the question, why? Why did Jesus talk about the subject of money over and over and over again? And I think this is the answer because Jesus knew, he made us, he's been there since the beginning, and so I think Jesus knew that maybe more than any other thing, money's power to turn our hearts away from God. He talks about it. He talks about money's power to shift and to turn our hearts away from God. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes an argument that that how you steward your finances, that how you steward your money in light of the kingdom of God might be one of the primary indicators of the true spiritual condition of your heart. Which, by the way, let me just stop and say something here. I, I just, if, if, as I unpack the scriptures, if you find yourself disagreeing or getting mad or something, I want you to do something. I want you to just wrestle with the word for a while before you pop off an email to me, okay? Just wrestle with Jesus. And if you still got a question, let's talk, all right? But Jesus made pretty clear argument that how you steward your finances in light of the kingdom of God is one of the primary indicators of the true spiritual condition of your heart. And again, I find that fascinating because as Christians, we don't really look at people's finances and how they steward it as one of the primary indicators of the spiritual condition of their heart. What do we look at? We're just trying to figure out if a person's walking with God, external indicators. What do we look at? We look at church attendance. You know, we think, okay, if, if, if a person's going to church, you know, two, three Sundays a month, they're probably walking with God. But Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, hey, if this person's going to church two out of 
or, or three out of four times a month and their heart probably belongs to God. He never said that. He didn't talk about money though. Um, we often, times when we're trying to discern a person's, the true spiritual condition of the heart, we'll look at their theology. Do they have good theology? Because if their theology is good, their heart's probably right with God. Jesus really didn't do that. He never ever said, okay, everybody, if you are a, a non-dispensational pre-trib eschatologist with a classic historical view of soteriology, then your heart's probably right with God. He never said that. We do, but he didn't. But here's what he did say. He did say, if you really wanna know who or what owns a person's heart, look at their money. Look at their money. As a matter of fact, let me show you where he said it. Uh, Matthew 6, 19. Let's go ahead and turn there. This is a verse that you've all heard. If you've been in church for a while, a lot. Let's, but let's unpack it a little bit. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking. Matthew 6, 19. And he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where your thieves, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then verse 21, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, now, Again, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard that verse so many times that it's one of those verses that your eyes glaze over and it just kind of goes over your head and you don't really think much about it. But let's, let's take a, a look at a couple of these words. Um, can we go back to 619 real quick, if possible? I want you to look at the word lay up there. He says, do not lay up. Now, what, is, what, does, what does that mean? Don't lay up. Well, I looked it up. It, it carries with it the idea of accumulating or amassing, um, layup means to accumulate. And then um, look at the word treasures there. What does he mean, treasures? That carries with the idea of physical wealth. And so Jesus is clearly talking about money here, okay? And so here's maybe the literal meaning of what Jesus is saying with this verse in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He's saying, do not accumulate wealth for yourself here on earth. I saw something this week that I've never seen before. It's been in front of my face. I've never paid attention to it, but I want you to look at the words for yourself. I've never paid attention to those two words. Jesus doesn't say do not accumulate wealth. He says, do not accumulate wealth for yourself. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's what you do with your money. You just can't keep it all is what he's saying. Do not accumulate wealth for yourself here on earth but instead accumulate wealth in heaven. And look at the last part. He's saying, because where your money is, your heart's affections are going to follow it. Now, what does Jesus mean there? That where, that where your money is, your heart's affections are going to follow it, okay? Um, I think an analogy would be like a magnet. Jesus is saying that money is like a magnet for your heart that wherever you put your money, your heart, your affections of your heart are gonna go wherever your money is. Let me give you an illustration today where I've seen this happen in my own life and y'all might fire me after this and so it's been good, it's been fun um, if y'all fire me after this. 
But several years ago, myself and a pastor buddy of mine were preaching at Vegas, in Las Vegas. And, um, and so we got done preaching or whatever, and we kind of had a free evening. And, and my pastor buddy said, hey, let's go to the casino and go eat at their buffet. And I was like, all right, I like buffets. So we went and we ate at the buffet and we were walking around afterwards, checking everything out. And, and you know, we got sick of the smoke. And so we decided to leave and, and we're walking out the door and to the right was this uh, sports betting place, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a casino before, but they got these sports betting places where you can bet on sports and watch games and stuff. <clears throat> it was during the, um, it was during, I, uh, uh, during basketball season and there was a, you know, a game going on there that um, of this two teams I had never heard of before, but he's like, hey, let's stop and let's bet on a basketball game. And I had a moment of weakness and said, all right, let's do it. And so now two things you need to know about me is uh, in true story, I, I, I hate gambling. I don't like it. I've only done it twice in my life. And, and I just, I'm not a big gambling fan. I don't know if it's inherently sinful, but it certainly can be, but I'm just not a big fan. And the other thing you need to know about me is I'm not a basketball fan. I'm a football guy and a baseball guy. And I'm just, I, I, it's not that I hate basketball. I'm just kind of ambivalent about it. I just don't really care. If the Aggies were playing in the national championship game, I would watch that game. But other than that, I don't really care, okay? And so since we didn't have anything going on, I was like, all right, let's do it. And I was like, you, you pick, the, pick the game and, and we'll bet on it. So two of the basketball teams that were playing if I remember correctly, were Southern Illinois, Southern Illinois and Idaho State, okay? Two, two teams that I had never heard of in my life. And since we were good Baptist boys, we decided we were gonna bet $2. We asked the dude like, what's the minimum bet? He's like, two bucks, we're like, done, here's $2. So we bet $2. Now I want you to keep in mind that I am not a basketball fan. I never, ever, ever watch it um, also keep in mind, I had never heard of these two schools. I'd never heard of Southern Illinois or Idaho State. I didn't know any of the players on either one of the teams. If I was at home flipping through the channels and I saw basketball games, Southern Illinois and Idaho State, I would pass right over it. I could not possibly care less about basketball, much less Southern Illinois or Idaho State. But something fascinating happened after I bet $2 on the game. <laughs> Y'all know, I was riveted. I, I was riveted. I was riveted. I, I watched every second of that game, every pass, every basket. I, I was glued to the TV. And here's the thing, it's like when I, when, when, I bet on Southern Illinois. And so when, when Southern Illinois would start losing, I would literally start feeling myself getting depressed. And then they would go ahead and I'm, I'm getting excited. And then they'd start losing again. I start getting really sad. And, and, and I'm, I find myself, I'm audibly cheering for them when they make a basket. And a few seconds left in the game, we, 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 my team, <laughs> Southern Illinois, my team was down two points. And coach calls times out, time out. We need a three-pointer to win the, I keep, we, you see what's happening here? We, we need a three-pointer to win the game. And they throw the ball in. There's a couple of seconds left. My heart is beating out of my chest. I stand up. My pastor friend that was rooting for 
you know, uh, whatever Idaho will stand up to. And with about a half a second left, guy cranks it up, three-pointer. It goes through the basket, and I lost my mind. I went bananas. And I'm like yelling at my pastor friend, oh, what's up? Like there, and there's a guy next to me that I didn't even know that was also rooting for Southern Illinois. We're hugging each other. I think we cried at some point. I'm like, I love you, man. I love you too, you know? And <laughs> what happened? I mean, this is a true story. What, 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 think about it. What transformed me from a person that for his entire adult life was completely disinterested in basketball to a raving lunatic hugging complete strangers that I've never met before while rooting for a team that I've never heard of who won a basketball game. Like what caused that transformation? That's right, (laughs) two bucks. (sighs) This is one of the reasons I believe the Bible, folks. Jesus knew what he was talking about. That's what he meant. Where your money is, your heart is gonna follow it. And that's why Jesus talked about money so often is he knew the power of it to capture the affections of our heart. You know, and one, one of the things I realized reading the scripture is that Jesus was not okay. He was not okay. He was not good with people that claimed his name and claimed to follow him, but their heart really belonged to something else. He wasn't okay with it. Let's look at it. Um, Matthew 9, 16. Matthew 9, 16. One of those stories you've heard a bunch. Let's unpack it real quick. Rich young ruler. And behold, a man came up to him, talking about Jesus. God walked up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Okay, so here's what just happened. This guy walks up to Jesus. We found out later that he's rich. He walks up to Jesus and he asks him a question. He says, how do I go to heaven? How do I enter eternal life? Jesus answers him really interestingly. He says, you follow the commandments, which is not how to go to heaven, how you go to heaven. But what I realized later is that Jesus is revealing something about this man's heart. Jesus said, you gotta follow the commandments. Rich young guy says, which one? Which ones? Jesus lifts off or lifts off almost all of them the guy's doing the math in his brain. He's like, sweet. I don't, I've never murdered anybody. Never committed adultery. Never stole anything. Pretty nice to my parents. I'm good, Jesus. I'm golden. And then he asks him a question. He says, is there anything else I lack? Is there anything else I need to do? And I want you to watch what Jesus says to him in verse 21. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, I want you to look at the underlying phrase there. Jesus says, if you, 
if you wish to be complete. And so the guy asked, is there anything I lack? Is there anything I'm not doing? And he says, if you wish to be complete, that phrase there in some translations, Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. There's one thing you're not doing, okay? In other words, what, everybody look at me. What Jesus is saying is there's one commandment you're not keeping. Your one commandment you're not keeping. And Jesus said, there's one commandment you're not keeping, so here's how you keep this commandment. Here's how you follow this commandment that you're not doing. Go out there and give all your money away. And then you're good. Now, I'm gonna ask you guys a theological question. Which one of the 10 commandments was this guy not living out? Which one of the 10 commandments was this guy not living out that Jesus said you could, you, you could start living it out, you could start following it by giving away all your money? Because giving away your, all your money is not one of the 10 commandments. So which one of the commandments was Jesus talking about that this guy could actually live out by giving away all his money? Anybody got it? The first one. The first one. What's the first commandment? Commandment number one, numero uno. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And so we've got a situation here where even though this rich guy was saying that he wanted to go to heaven, he was saying, this rich guy was saying that he wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus saw into his heart and when he saw into his heart, Jesus realized that money was this young man's God. He's like, okay, I would love for you to follow me, but I'm not okay with you following me while money is your God. So this is what I want you to do. Jesus tells him, sort of prove to me that money's not your God. I want you to go give it away. And if you can let go of it, if you can give it away, then you can follow me. Matthew 19, 22, watch the young rich guy's response. It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus saw into his heart, realized that this guy's God was money. Jesus asked him to let go of his God so that he could follow Jesus and the guy couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Why? He loved money more than the Lord. He could not let go of his God. He could not do it. And so I, I, I just, what I find fascinating about that story right there, and it's, just, it's not fascinating, it's probably not the right word, maybe scary, is that from all outward appearances, this guy looks like a godly person, right? He was moral. This guy probably didn't drink. He made a great Southern Baptist. He did not drink, he didn't cuss didn't steal stuff. He was great. He followed the commandments. Except one. Except one. And unless something changed, unless something changed in this guy's heart that the Bible doesn't tell about, tell us about this young man who was very moral, did not go to heaven when he died. Because what Jesus just proved is that God was not this young man's God but money was. And if you, if you find yourself in a position, in a place where money has such a grip on you that you are unable to let go of it for the kingdom, for Jesus, that ought to, that ought to concern you. 
that ought to scare you actually because what that might, might be revealing is that God isn't your God, but money is. We're gonna talk about a lot of reasons why we give. This is one of them. This is a big one. It's one of, one of the reasons that I give. I give consistently. I give regularly. And I give sacrificially to the kingdom of God. Even when I was dirt poor, and I have been dirt poor, the first year that I was a church planner in Austin, I, I made $12,000. I literally lived under the poverty line. And even then, when I had three little kids and a wife, and we lived in a ratty apartment, and I was living under the poverty level, I still gave regularly and sacrificially because Jesus said that where my money is, that's where my heart is gonna be, and I believe Jesus. And so one of the reasons that I give is because I want to make certain that money doesn't own my heart. I give regularly, I give sacrificially, because Jesus said where my money is, that's where my heart's gonna be, and I wanna absolutely make sure that my heart's in the kingdom of God. Now I'm almost done here, but let's go back to Exodus 35 real fast. Exodus 35, four, almost done. <clears throat> Let's read this text again. Exodus 35, four, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. At the, at the beginning of the sermon, I asked you a question. And it was this, that if up to this point in the story of Exodus, God has been the one doing all the giving, then why all of a sudden does he stop and ask the people of God to give so that the tabernacle could be built? Why does he do, why does he do that? Why does all of a sudden he stop and say, now out of your wealth, I want you to give back to me? The answer to that question is found in the purpose of the tabernacle. What was the purpose of the tabernacle? The purpose of the tabernacle was to be the physical dwelling place of God and so that the people of God could worship God. That was the purpose of the tabernacle. And so that God could be worshiped. Y'all with me so far? So if you hear anything I say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say next. In order for the tabernacle to be built, God asked his people to give of their silver and gold. Here's why. Because when they did, when they gave of their silver and their gold, when they gave it up, when they walked away from it, when they gave it to him, when they were doing that, what they were saying to the Lord is, God, I love your worship more than I love this silver and gold. God asked them to give of their wealth when he didn't need it so that his name could be worshiped so that his name could be exalted because when they did, it was showing the Lord, Lord, I love the worship of your name more than I love money. And what the rich young ruler was essentially saying to Jesus 
when he could not give away his silver and gold is he was saying, Jesus, I love silver and gold more than I love you. I love silver and gold more than I love the worship of your name. And what I fear is that there are so many of us here that make that same decision every time we get a paycheck. Jesus said, if you really wanna know who or what owns a person's heart, look at their money, look at their money. And so I'm gonna end this sermon by asking you two quick questions. First question, somebody that did not know the Lord somebody that did not know the Lord were to have access to all your finances, would they know that your heart belonged to God? Last question. Do you desire the worship of his name more than you desire silver and gold? Do you desire the worship of his name more than you desire money. I hope you do because silver and gold make horrible gods, amen?